Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 357. And I've switched up the order this week. I think I told you on the little bonus episode on Friday what this week's was going to be. and But it's been changed at the last minute because I had the opportunity to have Arnie Donner on. Now, I'll be, I'll tell the truth. I only found out who Arnie Donner are two weeks ago, if that. A week and a half ago, and they blew my mind. Uh, they've got a show on Netflix called Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun. And I'd seen some people post about it, say it was great, and I thought I'll give it a look. And I binged all the episodes in, t- in 24 hours and loved it. Um, I recommend that you do the same because we need more risk-taking shows like this. It's bonkers, basically. It's comedy. Um, it's getting compared a lot to... The Mighty Boosh to Monty Python, but I honestly don't think it's, or, and also um, Flight of the Concords, but I don't think it's like any of those things. It's 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 very much its own weird and wonderful world. Um, and yeah, I I posted about it a bit, saying how much I rated it, and some of their long term fans said you should get them on the podcast, and I said they'd be very welcome on the podcast. And they slid into my DMs, and we've now recorded a podcast, and it's out. You're you're listening to it now, so yeah, I highly recommend the show. And as said, I think when places like Netflix or anywhere take risks on unusual stuff, I think it's so important to support it, particularly early, particularly those first that first week or two of release, because to be boring about it. That's how more risks get taken. I know I bang on about it with cinema all the time that we need to support the great independent f- films that come out because, to be frank, l- less and less are being made because the blockbusters are where the money is as cinema is, even before this, is starting to to die out or lose its former glory, which breaks my heart. You all know I bang on about it all the time. I'm a huge fan of the cinema experience. Anyway, I'm going off on tangents. I need to tell you something. Speaking of people who like to watch stuff, if you like to watch stuff, one of the things that this pandemic has done is made me have to do all these podcasts over Zoom. And because that's happening, it means I've recorded all of them. So I decided over on patreon.com slash Pip, which is a dollar a month. Um, You can pay more if you think it's worth more. I've decided to start uploading some of the videos i've uplo- i'm going to be uploading 12 on the first 12 days of december it's the 12 days of pitmas so yeah if you fancy some of that the hope is that you 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 subscribe or join or whatever you call it and then you just leave the the resubscription on and you know it costs you a dollar a month you don't notice it but if loads of you do it it really helps me and buddy peace and jared and John, the people behind the the podcast in its different areas, um, the people who need to get paid. But again, equally, if you don't want to, it's fine. There's no hard sell here. You will have heard, particularly at this time of year, I've got sponsors. I might have two, I might have three. <laughs> it might get annoying. But again, it's how you get this podcast for free. And yeah. If you want to watch the videos, it's a, d- a dollar essentially. Not a dollar each video, a dollar for the whole, for 12. 
So for like 15 hours. Yeah, that's all I need to, to tell you really. Go and watch Arnie Donna. Oh, I've, I've launched some new merch recently. By the time this comes out, the fridge magnets of my head will probably have sold out because we did. I did another collaboration with Riker, who's the guy who did the He-Man toy version of me, the Star Wars toy version of me, and the kind of action man, old style, big action man t- toy version of me. Uh, we wanted to do this little b- bonus collaboration at the end of the year that's more affordable because all of the toys are expensive because Riker is this amazing artist who charges thousands of pounds for a lot of his work and hand creates them. So we find a middle ground between my web store, which is always as cheap as I can realistically afford to make it at an independent level. And, you know, his, (laughs) his, his quite understandable charging for his wonderful art. So we find a middle ground there, but with these, we wanted to go more down my end of the, of the scale as a little thank you to everyone who supported. So yeah, they came out, they might've sold out, but the dope thing is we've also released these new sweaters with the slogan again, which kind of, I think Arnie Donna will agree with, but the slogan of my label is we may not be for you and that's fine. And we've slung that on some sweaters cause it feels like a good year for it. <laughs> So they're all at speechdevelopmentrecords.com. Little Christmas gifts for yourself or the ones you love, if you feel... I mean, there's tons of stuff over there. There's vinyl, there's DVDs, there's records, there's gloves, hats, scarves, umbrellas, all sorts of jumpers and sweaters, beanies. The beanies are dope, actually. They're also the We May Not Be For You, and that's fine, beanies. So yeah, there's loads of good shit. Go and check it out. I'll leave it at that. I'll be back next week. Again, I might change things up again. I might, on the, I said, on that little bonus one I put out on Friday, I told you about a very exciting podcast I've recorded, but it might be next week. It might be the week after, because I'm, I'm flying by the seat of my pants at the moment, guys. And we've, I've got some great guests potentially lined up, but they don't always happen. But when they do happen, they often have specific release dates that would help them out, as happened this week. So, yeah. It's a long intro, isn't it? But it's a fucking good podcast, so you're going to enjoy this. Um, this is Mark, Broden, and Zachary. Auntie Donna. Well, sh- should we get going? Is that good with you guys? If yes, please. Yes, please, yes, please, please. Then we shall begin. Right, I'm joined today by Arnie D- Donners. I've got Mark, Broden and Zachary. How-, how are you doing, gentlemen? We're very good. Thank you so much for having us. You were very Thank generous you. to us on Twitter. Someone said, yes. why don't you have them on the pod? And you were like, oh, I'd love to have them on the pod. And that's all we needed. And we, we were s- like, then we're going to get on the pod. <laughs> we slipped I, I, into the DMs. I genuinely get mad when people request people on the pods and don't tag them. It's like, tag them, man, so it's so they can see that, so then we don't have to have any awkward kind of, yeah. oh, they don't want to come on. I don't want to approach them if they don't want to come on. I'll, I'll be happily, I'll happily go, yes, this is cool. Let's talk publicly about this. And then, yeah, that's where <laughs> no, we land. Very, we're very honoured to be here. We're very honoured. I'm, I'm always excited when I have podcasters on the podcast because I know that 
it will just work, like tech-wise, sound-wise, talking-wise. It's genuinely the nerves with which I always send the bit, which I sent to you guys in your DM saying, look, can you have headphones on and can you record it? Because <laughs> I've had, I've had I, I won't name the exact ones, but, but I've had huge producers on who I've literally spent 15 minutes at the start of the Zoom as we're trying to figure out how to get the Zoom into headphones and oh, then, then to record, even onto an iPhone. It was LP. It was LP from Run the Jewels. He really struggled <laughs> Oh, you're massively. joking, really? That's really. so funny. That's amazing. It was, it was mad. He was outside as well and I was like, Man, is it, it did work. It worked great. But it was like, you're an amazing producer and you're outside <laughs> and you're just speaking on an iPhone at the moment. But we got there in the end. <laughs> the, our podcast last week, we're running out of ideas. We're deep into the two 230s. You know, we've done a yeah. lot. Mm, and yeah. our, our podcast is just comedy improvisation. And there's only, uh, we're starting to learn there's only so many things in the world that are funny and are good yeah. ideas. Yeah. And we've done yeah. so 10 episodes of our 230 have been good. Um, yeah. But last week we literally just took a Run the Jewels album, the instrumentals for the whole thing, and then just tried to rap over it. And none of Amazing. us are rappers at all. <laughs> and it's you know like there's some of it's in three four and so and yeah. um, a, a half of it was just us essentially giving each other times tables to try and solve on the spot in rhythm. So like Beautiful. five times five, and um, yeah, so thirty. So it's good to speak to one of our contemporaries is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so <laughs> it, it, it must be tough on that front on doing a podcast that is kind of improvised and comedy improvisation every week. Because, again, as a podcast listener, you'll know that most podcasters repeat the same stories over and over again mm. and all sorts of things like you can't like I will I guarantee at some point I'll mention that I'm an actor now and that I've worked with Tom Hardy it comes up in literally every episode oh, wow. um, I would do that <laughs> there's no way up. I wouldn't talk about that every episode of my podcast <laughs> if that happened to me he's but my number it, one man crush for sure I mean, there's there's loads of podcasts I listen to, and it, yeah, it'll reek it like a guest will lead on to a subject, and I'll be sitting there going, "I know the story he's going to tell." So it must be tough to not have those things to fall back on, right? Because you've got to actually well, be well, original. The joy, of, mm. the joy of comedy is you can just say it's a running joke. I mean, there, there's a lot yeah. of like British pine, like British sketch comedian pioneers, I would say. Um, that really paved the way. The way you can just do the same character saying the same things every episode, and people are like, "Yes, do it again." Yeah, and you're yeah. like, "All right." You know, like- it's this thing like it's we built this podcast um, kind of because when we would develop, when we were in like the development stage of writing new comedy, we had this area where we were just improvising out ideas, and yeah. some ideas would be really, really, really funny, and we'd and. But then when you try and convert them into a form that you could do regularly and repeatedly on stage, sometimes the magic died a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you go, how, well, how do we capture that energy of just fun improvisation? And so the podcast became pretty much how we develop the content that you see on stage or on, on TV. And we have like a core fan base for the podcast, but there's some characters who are in our Netflix show now who are just characters from the podcast, like, um, that are based off maybe me. There's one one time I mispronounced a word and said moogie instead of like boogie, boogie or I was, yeah. and then Zach just made a character called Moogie, 
and he is now in the show. And it's purely just because of the stupid podcast. And like, even though a lot of our audience who watch the Netflix show haven't listened to the stupid podcast, the people who do are like so endeared because they're like, oh my God, this is from that stupid, this is from episode 182. You've turned this <laughs> into a, into a character on a Netflix series. So it's this weird fun thing now. I mean, uh, on these podcasts, I always go all, all over the place and off on tangents and around the timeline, but obviously there is something you know, huge that has happened for you guys in, in recent weeks. So I think we need to start with that. Um, COVID. You've, you've got your own deal. You, you've got your own deal on Domino's. That's just, that's, that's <laughs> Oh yes, there it is. That's beautiful. Beautiful setup. My dream. Knock that out of the park. Genuinely there. my dream. I think pizza is the best thing in the world. I don't know why people talk about sliced bread so much when there's, there's far better things. So, how Someone that? took that dough and put tomato and cheese yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say British Domino's I think is better than other Domino's. And mm. like, I don't know. I'd, I'd love your opinion on this too, but Mate. we've spent a fair bit of time in Scotland yeah. where they put corn on it. I'm not big on the corn, but the I, I like the British Domino's. I, yeah. uh, I disagree. Um, <laughs> like all things in Scotland, and I'm sorry if you have Scottish listeners, it's a little under-seasoned. Um, <laughs> But no, no, I respectfully disagree, Broden. I really want to go down this, like, which Domino's is the best part. Genuinely, we can get into this for hours because one of the big problems I have in America is American Pizza Hut isn't very good. And Pizza Hut's like, I I think of it as America, but in the UK it's great. So Mm. the first time I had it out here, I was like, you've got like half the options. What's going on? Do you know who has the best KFC? Oh, see, now this is a place I'd like to talk from. So who's got the best KFC? Britain really has really KFC. Well, this is contentious. Okay, I genuinely this is contentious. All right, because I think everything in the American KFC is done better, with the exception of the fries. British KFC fries are great. British have great options, but if you've never had Australian KFC, you don't know what's up. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I think Australian Australian KFC is unbelievable. So we have a thing in Australia called chicken salt. (laughs) <laughs> which is sort of a, a chicken flavored. It's almost like chicken stock powder mm. meets salt meets like some spices. It's okay. got a very savory umami flavor. And, um, we, we, our chips at our KFC have chicken salt on them. And I think that just puts us far and above away the, uh, the wedges and, and the chips in the, in the UK do and you, the US. But at American KFC-, KFC, you can get extra crispy chicken and it's the best shit ever. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Do you have, Gravy at KFC in Australia. Yes, the gravy and is, it's the is, best. Is a key, a key ingredient. However, there's this movement down here, Scroobs, that it's it's potato and gravy is the starting position, and the potato is not of a great quality. It's so a powdered potato. It's a from, reconstituted right. potato. Yeah. Yeah, but the, you know, we we could talk about the differences in KFC around the world forever. <laughs> Um, and I would love to know from your audience their favourite KFC. I, yeah, I feel like we've gone a little off off topic here. Um, it's understandable. <laughs> Not for me. No, no. Look, it's understandable, <laughs> but I think we do need to get back to Domino's. So the thing about Domino's is, um, um, but no, that Domino's deal was very funny, and also something that came from the podcast as well. Yeah, like, yeah. That's that's the beauty of the podcast. I think is that ideas that would have died in the rehearsal room or would have died in the writers' room get a bit of breath, get yeah. a bit of space yeah. to kind of become something and and find its audience and then mutate into something bigger, which is, I think, a really cool thing. It's very, like, indicative of 
the world we live in now that you can kind of just like throw things out and let people kind of give you the feedback straight away about whether it's something you want to keep yeah. keep cooking, I guess. But yeah. this is something that happened recently with the Domino's deal. <laughs> That I only I went on there to I went on Domino's the other day because I was like I'm going to get the Auntie Donna deal. Why not do myself a treat, right? Get a couple Go of Domino's on. pizzas. Use the Auntie Donna deal, uh, which is thirty one ninety five for two pizzas of garlic bread and a one point two five uh, Pepsi product delivered to your door. Thirty one ninety five. I get on the Domino's website and they've got a new deal for two pizzas of garlic bread and a one point two five bottle of Pepsi product for twenty nine ninety five. <laughs> They were undercutting our own fucking deal. I only just saw this the other day, Pip. I couldn't believe it. I didn't know what to do. I got really mad. I was screenshotted very... it and sent it to the boys. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Tell, to be clear, tell every me you single... still went for your deal. Or did you? Yes, take, I did. I paid more for it. I That's did. Right. I ended up paying fucking thirty-five bucks because I got some extra shit on my pizza. Like, and I paid more for it as a as a point of as a point of reference. I was like, I'm not fucking letting them get away with this. It's uh, like when you hear about very- Jay Z used to on nights out would only drink his own brand of whiskey and he'd pay for it because it was like <laughs> it's money in my own pocket. He's dunking on himself. He's like, that's going to come back in my residuals. <laughs> this is all so funny. <laughs> It's, um, and we should make it very clear that the marketing department and the CEO of Domino's both tried to make it a better deal, but we're like, no, it, we have to stick with the funny here. Our manager as well, like every single person <laughs> was like, you should try to make this like more affordable. And we're like, no, it's not funny if it's cheaper. If it's cheaper, <laughs> there's this quality of it being a real deal. <laughs> we, we want it to be exactly the cost of that deal. Uh, I had a friend that paid $7 more for it because it was so much cheaper pickup to do it without the deal. And they went, no, give me the deal. And they ended up paying $7 more. That's the kind of fans we have. I love it. It's a beautiful thing. Well, I mean, speaking of your fans, like one of the things, obviously, all jokes aside, you've just had a Netflix show and that's fucking amazing, right? That's mind blowing. Thank you. As particularly as you say, from the way that things work these days of just doing things yourself and it's kind of, you're doing it for the fun of doing it. You're doing a podcast, like, you know, YouTube stuff, all to work for stage stuff for that to, pay off in a, a Netflix show is amazing. But one of the things that I really enjoyed was the lack of gatekeeping in your fan base and the lack and, yeah. the, and the lack of snobbery. Often people who look like myself and Mark have that kind of hipster kind of, we were here first. Oh, you're all into Aunt, Auntie Donna now. Oh, oh, great. But there was none of that. There seemed like, as soon as I started posting about it, there were so many people like, I'm so glad you're into it. Look, Here's some, here's some other stuff. Here's this stuff. Here's what was the first thing and all that. So, like, how's that been seeing that reaction? Oh, I think, I think that was something we, you know, it's something you try to cultivate. It's something you try to encourage. It's, it's something you try to feed the positivity. You try to react to the positive comments, not the negative ones. You try to reward the positive posts, not the negative things. Yeah. Um, and it's a very slow thing and, and you hope that it works. You know, you hope that your fans are going to come along with you. You know, I think selfishly for me, at least I, my biggest fear was that you sold out. Um, you know, we have a thing in Australia called tall poppy syndrome. I don't know if that's what yeah. it's called in the UK. I'm sure it is in the UK or yeah, similar yeah, yeah. culturally like that. But my biggest worry was you guys sold out. You guys went to Netflix and for us, it was always like, we always hope that our fans, our core fans that have been with us for 10 years, don't see it as us abandoning them 
they see it as all of us getting this success. We all got this Netflix show. Yeah. Our weird little comedy style, we all got it. That was sort of always my thinking. And then I never really thought about the gatekeeping element until someone pointed it out. It was like, oh, that's also there. You know, there's yeah. when when you when you breed positivity and when you when you have positive fans and when you just try to keep your comedy in a positive realm or at least away from negativity, you know, it's it's so good. It's so mm. heartening and mm. it's so nice to think, you know, it's so nice to think that exactly like you said, people that look like us aren't being douchebags about <laughs> <Yeah>. us. <laughs> it's I think, like, that's good, you know. I think our fans have also known that we've been real poor for a long time and that this is like <laughs> this, this, this kind of shit allows us to just keep doing it, you know, like, cause there's only so long you can do YouTube comedy for yeah. before you either need to go, all right, we all need to go be teachers so we can fucking yeah. earn, you know, like earn a living and look after our families and shit. Um, not that any of us have little bubbies, but, um, uh, who knows? Anyone got one on the way? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Um, but, uh, yeah. So like, they're not only supportive of uh, the hardcore fans are not only supportive of the comedy, but they're very supportive of us as people. And they just want us to be doing well and for and for Auntie Donna in general to be doing well, they're, they're just the best, man. They're just yeah, the best. They really they, are. They give a shit about us, you know, not yeah. just about the work but about us as people. Did, did any of the kind of fear of the you sold out type thing, because, again, I grew up into punk and, and rap and, all, and they're all genres that as soon as you're successful, you're the, the, the absolute yeah. devil, you're shit now. It's kind of – it's a bizarre thing because you should want – as many people as possible to hear something that you think is awesome. But did the, the fear of the you sold out thing come into your minds at all when you were working on the show and creating the show? Do you think it influenced you to st stick to what you are and what you always have been? Or There's or two things I'd say on that. I think we're in the post you sold out era. Yeah. So there was the you sold out is the cool thing. And now I feel like people are in the it's losery to say that now it's yeah. losery to say you sold out <laughs> yeah, you're in completely. the mm. um there are some people who are clever with what they say and like but they're trying to be you know the alter the alternative take people but yeah. it's a very small minority but um i think like what ha often happens in our sort of area where we're doing youtube comedy when people go off and leave platforms that they have a loyal fan base on what can often happen i think is they leave the YouTube channel or wherever, wherever they came from dead. And that was like a big deal for us is yeah. that that's not going to be the case. We have like 360,000 people on YouTube who watch us pretty regularly, who will always watch whatever we put up. And um, if we were to just turn our back on them and just start making Netflix, that would just, it would just suck. Mm. So we made a real, what we did and it's almost killed us is alongside all of the press for this show, and the podcasting and everything else we're doing, we made an original web series that's being released alongside the Netflix series. So we've got, with, and the series, the series is kind of like inspired by shows like Nathan for You and this show actually from uh, Canada called Nirvana the Band the Show and other things like that, where it's kind of this improv -y narrative. But the whole premise of this little web series we made is that it's us trying to promote the Netflix show and that's where the Domino's deal came from. Yeah. Um, Mark and I both got the Netflix logo tattooed on our ass because we were trying to get promotion like Jackass. We got inked. We got inked. Um, yeah, that was amazing. I loved it. 
Yeah. And, um, and the one that just came out last night is we're like, we're not making enough money. So we bootlegged DVDs of the show and sold them out the front of our, uh, how, exci- how excited were you to get, you know, Australian musical legends on board? Yeah. Do you, in, do you like in, King Gizzard? I've, I've, I've always heard of them. I've got a few mates out that way. So I've, I've not heard that much of them, but I've always heard. Yeah. So that was they're that, just these like that popped the, up. I was like, yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, everyone admires them because they're there's six. There's there's huge amount of them. There's there's six now, but I think there used to be four hundred and fifteen. <laughs> yeah. And um, they release like six albums a year sometimes, and they do their genre bending and they do yeah. so many different things, and they're really really brilliant. But I went to high school with one of them, so I was like, hey, can you please come in? Broden's high school has bred some f- incredible fucking Australian artists. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's not a it's not a public school. It's like a, a what what do you call it? They're like a government school. It's a yeah, uh, yeah. state school. Um, yeah, just a state school that just bred some cool people. Yeah. So we're, yeah. And who's, we'll lean who's in. on your on your on your list? Your school. Well, the three members of Auntie Donna came yeah. from that fucking school. That's and then yeah, King stuff. Gizzard. There was a group called Trump Disco, who is now Subhuman, who's this awesome electro superstar. Some really big hip hop artists as well. Did Pez go to our school, Tom? Pez um, and some other Australian Boris hip- Johnson, Boris Johnson, <laughs> Boris, Johnson. <laughs> Boris Johnson, Boris <laughs> Johnson, the Queen of England, yeah, Elizabeth Windsor, Cameron Diaz, Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg went Snoop there, Dogg Scroobius, Pip. <laughs> Scroobius Pip, yeah, Scroobius Pip went there. There's a lot of really a famous people that went there. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. just it's just it's just come to mind just because of 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 thinking of Australian artists, but I just did my, I've not posted it because every artist is doing it, but I just got that sp- Spotify. Yeah. Like, you know, everyone has their artist thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah, my, yeah, yeah. My most l- listened to track was in Australia on September 7th, between three and 4am <laughs> oh, was the most really? anyone was listening to my music. And I've not been able to figure out why there That's was a, amazing. Boom, a boom in Australia. <laughs> September 7th. <laughs> between three four, and four, is it four to seven. It, for Australian time? I don't know. That's so interesting. Do you know what area it was? That's no idea. so much. But, you it know, was, Spotify has all of this data and, yeah. you know, you've just got to find the right person to prod and they'll give you all the information. They'll mm. tell you who it exactly was and what they were wearing at the time. And I reckon, <laughs> I reckon, it, here's my thinking, here's my thinking, work out what that time was. Yeah. See if you can get info from Shazam. I know Shazam has info, so maybe if people... And then also maybe like Triple J played it. Maybe someone played... Because Triple J is our big youth broadcaster. Or Triple J loved one of our songs back in the day. They hated everything else that we ever did, but this one song, they were like, this is the best. We got loads of royalties only from them. And yeah, so yeah, maybe they've had a a throwback. Maybe they played it and then people shazammed it and listened Jumped to it. I, I, that's my theory, but I don't know anything about this stuff. So, <laughs> so, so, so speaking of you all going to school together, was that when you kind of started doing Auntie Donna? I know it's a real, you know, hack journalist thing to be. How did you guys meet? No, no. no. Yeah, no, we, we, because we met at uh, university. Broden went to high school with Tom and Max. Um, after high school, uh, Broden, and Tom went to acting school, and Max went off and, and uh, to become a filmmaker. And uh, and then Zach Zach was also in that year level. Um, I was in the year level below those guys. So when I, when I came in and I was in first year, all these guys were in second year. But we ended up doing a, a stu- our, our university was like a regional 
one, you know, there's a couple of big acting schools in Australia yeah. and ours was kind of always like fourth, fifth on the rank. It was right right out in sort of the country, um, uh, about an hour and a half or two hours out of Melbourne and shit. And yeah, and so uh, we all we all uh, I went in there as an older student, and these guys were above me, and and our school was very encouraging, um, in terms of like they constantly reminded us that you won't have a job when you get out of here. Like, there's no fucking work in Australia for actors, you yeah. know, and you have to be mindful of that. So they had a big push for autonomy. So often, what we would do, what a lot of the students would do, was we would write our own plays, and we would uh, put them on in between our coursework and the other, you know, plays that we had to do. And uh, some guy had written one. Zach was directing it and he cast me, Broden, and Tom. Tom was the lead. He's our music man. Tom, Tom is our music boy. Our music. He does all our beats. He writes all our music. Tom was the lead and he was incredible in it. Let me tell you that much right now. Um, but uh, <laughs> that was sort of the very, very early starting point for Donna. It was kind of like the, it was the first time I – sort of stepped into these guys' world yeah. because at our uni, you know, you're you're in your year level and there's only like 25, maybe 30 people in your year, um, but you kind of stick to those people and you yeah. don't really, you know, you see other people at parties and stuff. But it was very bizarre for me because I didn't find a lot of people that I like really connected with and really hit yeah. home with in my year level. Sorry, I was no, just going to do full name. I was just going to go, you didn't connect with and then like say <laughs> someone random from his year level. But that was a joke. That would have been a joke for me, not for your listeners. <laughs> so. But yeah, like, and so I was like going through uni and like, oh, you know, there's, I've made friends, but there was no one creatively that I felt like I clicked with until I met these guys and we ended up doing this show together. If Zach hadn't cast me in that play, I probably never would have been in Auntie Donna. Yeah, it's it's funny because I think everyone has their own sort of, um, you know, if, if there was ever the story of Auntie Donna written down, it would almost, you'd almost have a chapter for each person and how they folded in or how they became a yeah. part of it, you know. Um, but I often think about that, you know, when I look back at the path, whenever Mark tells that story, I, I remember that he audition for that play it was just a little play that we performed once for 60 students and he auditioned for that play and and my my whole thing was just pushing the boundaries of taste with with performance I guess in terms of like how big you can go like I I just was always like I don't I think you know theater and like theatrical performance and comedy people always underplay it so I was just like let's see how big we can go let's absolutely push See how far we can push it, um, which I think I, I, I've definitely brought into Auntie Don. <laughs> well, um, I was, was, was going to say it, it, it that, that definitely comes across on the Netflix show because there is a there's a going big but being impossibly comfortable with how big you're going. Do you know what I mean? There doesn't seem, yeah, seem to be any yeah. kind of oh we we might be going too over the top. It just feels you go big but no one is aware that you're going big. If that makes sense. It's not yeah, like, it's, like it's, it, Jim Carrey goes big and it's Jim Carrey going big. Do you know what I mean? Whereas yeah. it, it, it feels like there's huge, huge performances in there, but they're played kind of casually and no, and no one is going, oh man, that's... Yeah, you know, do you know, it's very down. true. It's like, Bro talks about that a lot, about this idea that, and a lot of times when we get guest stars, they go, I'll play it small because you probably want that counterweight. And we're just like... No, the counterweight is the show you watch after us. You know, <laughs> like, like this is a world. And, and that's something, you know, we tossed and turned about. But in the end, you come to it, it's like, no, this is the whole world. The whole world that Auntie Donna lives in is a lot. You know, it's too yeah. much. It's, it's, it's that big. 
Um, but it's just, I was just going to say that when Mark tells that story, I remember, so I, I, that was the first thing I'd ever directed and I was still finding how to communicate to actors and stuff. And I remember I didn't convey to him how big I wanted it to be. And no one was really getting a big enough performance, but I didn't convey how big I wanted it to be. And he did an okay job. He did a really good job, but there were no parts that were right for him. It was more of a script thing. There just wasn't a part that was right yeah. for him. And then I was auditioning the char- another character the next day and um, consistently people weren't acting big enough. And I was like, oh, Mark, you're here. Can you read across from people for me? Can you read opposite me? Um, and I hadn't cast it yet. I hadn't told him that there wasn't really a part for him. And then I just said said to him in his ear, I was like, look, no one's really going as big as I want them to go. So can you go more than more than you would go? Can you go like past the point that we you should go? Can you just go instead of a hundred percent, can you go to a thousand percent to pull them up? And um and it was this amazing moment where based on that, which was not asking him to do what I thought I wanted him to do, it was to go further than that. Mark did a performance that was so big and so extreme and exactly what I wanted um, <laughs> that I was like, oh, shit, I don't want 100%, I want 1,000% that I ended up like going back to the writer and saying we're rewriting this character as an Italian, like we're just going to make it work for him. And I just amazing. think like it's amazing to think like if he hadn't have been in the student lounge that day, yeah, this part of Auntie Donna and thus Auntie Donna probably wouldn't have happened. And there's so many little moments like that. Mm. It's just a funny mm. little thought. Yeah. I love anyway. that. And Broden so- was there too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how was it to kind of go from to, to, to work your way into, into the comedy world? Because as you say, it's weird. A lot of comedy is so either America or UK centric. And we see it a lot with, with Ireland in in the uk that there's so much good stuff going on in ireland drama comedy everything but for so long it was made in ireland for ireland and it never seemed to make it anywhere else in the world and i think australia has had that over the years obviously we've we've then had a wave of drama and and amazing actors with your ben mandelson's um and just all sorts of others start to push things out and but with their own stuff, not with here I am turning up on something else going, mm. here's some Australian drama, here's some Australian. So how was that to kind of, after being told there's no jobs out there, there's nothing when you leave this, what, what are you going to do? First thing, the first thing that I wanted to diverge to is Irish um, comedians and how Irish people are just will die for them and how they love them. You can talk to any Irish person and go, yeah. oh, I've met the rubber bandit boys and they're like, you're joking. <laughs> like, they like, they love them so much. And yeah. And foil arms and hog. And, Last yeah. time I was, I was in Ireland, I went out for drinks after the show I'd done with blind boy from rubber bandits. It, yep. It's fucking hey. amazing because yeah. he takes the bag off and he can just get on with his life. Oh. It's fucking perfect. Yeah, he was, the- he was guesting yeah. on my live podcast and he couldn't get into the venue because he was trying to quietly say who he is, but he didn't have the bag on his head. So he didn't want to like, yeah. no one knew he was the surprise guest. So, so he literally had to text me and go, Pip, mate, I can't get in. Can you, can you come and get him to let me in? Or can you bring me a Tesco bag, please? Yeah, exactly. Just one or the other. Exactly. Um, yeah, I just love how like diehard Irish fans yeah. are for Irish stuff. It's sick. So what we, we came, there's the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, um, where yeah. we're from and it's considered in like the top three. There's Montreal and Edinburgh and Melbourne are the places yeah, that comedians huge. go. 
And um, it's a huge reason for why we exist because we left acting school and tried to do some interesting theatre and no one was having a bar of it. Uh, but so, but then there was this big comedy festival and we're like, well, let's take our kind of weird stuff we do and make and say we're a comedy group, take this theatre company, yeah. say we're a comedy group and put it on. And um, we'd been around for a year or two trying to do interesting theatre and just no one was, family would come and yeah. no one else would come and it wasn't cutting through. And then we... Uh, we put on this show and we kind of just went, well, none of us are really great comedy writers. We don't have a history in that. We, that's not our, we, we, none of us went to, well, you know, we never, none of us went to like sketch writing school. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so we just went, let's take all of our sort of theater training, our, you know, Shakespeare skills and put them to us writing bad comedy. And hopefully we can trick people into think that the writing is okay by just doing big, bold, confident performances. And that was our kind of hope. And the first time we performed was the first, like the, an hour length show was, was a real leap of faith. And we got nominated for an award in the first year. And that was enough for us to go, well, let's, let's just go yeah. for it with this because it, people seem to like it. It's because we're in a community here where comedy is really like considered something good and important mm, and mm. people come out and see it very similar to the way that Edinburgh Fringe is. Yeah. Um, and just for laughs. Yeah, but what we saw a lot of the time, in, and particularly in Melbourne, there wasn't a history of like sketch comedy the way there is in in the UK and or in America. So when we would go out and do comedy nights, it would be stand up, stand up, stand up, and then we'd come on and do a little play <laughs> um, for people. And um, we just came from the exact opposite angle to the rest of the comedy scene in Melbourne. Often I think the challenge for comedians, and I don't know if it's the same with I, I, or poetry or anything is where like if you're a writer, half of your challenge is learning how to do that on stage confidently and not limiting yourself by fear. Um, but we were coming from the other angle where we can stand on stage confidently for hours, but we didn't have the writing. Yeah. So mm. we, we, we came from the exact opposite direction. Every, every other sketch show, I remember so clearly that every other sketch show that I saw that year or that was around were all – Stand-ups. They're all people who had individual stand-up yeah. careers or were trying to make stand-up careers happen. So the sketch always came from a very cerebral place. It was always very written. It was always about the writing. It was always about that that idea. And us was always about just how stupid can we be? Can we make each other laugh with our bodies? Can we make each other laugh by <laughs> yelling a certain way or doing something else? And 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 it really was the the attitude was we can't write, but we can sell a shit joke. Like we yeah, can sell yeah. anything, give us anything, and we'll be able to perform it and make it dumb, and 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 maybe that'll work. And um, and it, it and attended to. There's almost a separation as well of the like. Oh, this is the, there's almost a separation of like the mind and the body, or in that there's this really cerebral written sketch. And this is the same in the UK and the US. There's either the stuff that's really really written and then said. It's about saying the jokes, saying the yeah. words. Or there's like physical comedy and it's clowning and it's like like using your bodies to do comedy. And I think just because of almost our lack of exposure to the world of comedy and because of the certain set of skills we had, we didn't kind of think that way. It's mm. just like we just, to us, it's like you use everything in your arsenal, you use anything and everything you can grab at to get that laugh, whether it's yeah. physical, whether it's, you know, performative, whether it's written and I think that sort of informed us. It was almost a lack. It was a lack of training or a lack of knowledge it's, that helped us. It's such a great 
angle to have come in from, though, because the writing part you can go away and work on and get better at, but the confidence yeah. on stage you can't really go away and work at. You have to be on stage d- doing that, so you have to go through b- bad performance after bad performance after bad performance to get to a, a comfortable l- level, and that can can s- stop itself before it gets started as such, because if you yeah. are nervous up there, the crowd projects that that back at you whereas if you go up there confident they're like cool this is a professional show i'm here to enjoy it i'm gonna when do i laugh now okay i'll laugh (laughs) you know what i mean it's they're (laughs) they're on the cues they're like they're up for it often the often the art of like creating anything is is learning the art of simplicity and how simple something can be yeah and if you can perform something if you can get on stage or on screen and confidently do that idea simply you, you it's quite easy to see how simple something can be for someone to enjoy it. But if you're stuck away writing and getting into the minutiae of it, often you you lose your connection to audience. And, but if you can boldly stand there and feel it, then it's... Yeah. yeah. That's absolutely where ideas die for us, yeah. I think. Like whenever we've had good ideas that, that end up dying and not making it through, it's, it's whenever we've been so fixated on getting the writing right, the writing has to be right, the writing has to be right, and then it just... And then we try to perform that perfectly yeah. written thing and it's never good it's just never good <laughs> but, but but that that again it feels like th- th- that mindset will have come from from drama school and stuff like that because like mm. if if you look at like the history of a russian theater their whole belief was you need an audience otherwise the play isn't the play do you know what i mean yeah. even if you're practicing yeah. there should be someone there otherwise it's not the play you need to have people there yeah. and that feels like that's Kind of like we need to get up there and bounce back and forth off the audience. Otherwise, we're just wanking away yeah. in a word document, Definitely. going, "Oh, isn't this wonderful?" I remember, and then it doesn't I, actually translate. I remember I had this like back when I used to have uh, arguments with people about like art and theatre because I was in my early twenties and I thought that was important. <laughs> and you had the energy, <laughs> and I had, and the, energy, had the energy rather than just being like, "All right, whatever." <laughs> um, I remember I had this argument with a guy who. Uh, he, he was trained in America. I've got to be careful not to like. He was trained in America and he was trained in that sort of t- film technique of, of finding your truth. It was all about yeah. finding your truth. And I remember I had an argument with him because he, he was talking about whether an audience could hear all the words. Like, because I, I think I w- we were talking about a show where I couldn't hear the actor. And um, he was like, I don't think if there's someone in the back row, can hear all the words, that's the most important thing. The most important thing is finding the truth. And I remember I just said to him, I'm like, what's more true than the fact that there's a paying audience member sitting in that room that needs to hear the words you're saying? Like, that's 100%. the truth. Yeah. Everything yeah. you're talking about as truth is is a lie. The truth is you're in a room pretending to be someone and someone in the back of that room needs to hear you. Yeah. And I think that's something people forget. They forget that in comedy, they forget that in music, that it's like, the truth is actually what you're doing in that moment, and that that is performance, I guess. Yeah, or completely, or it's forgetting that everything, that you should be doing something in the medium you're doing it in for a reason. So if you're yeah. performing in a theatre, then that is part of that. Otherwise, mm. go and make a film. Because it, like the reason, like yeah. I've, since I've moved in, into acting, I told you I'd mention it, um, I've had a lot of people <laughs> ask if, if I'll do any theatre, and... I'm not up for doing theatre at the moment because I'm trying to learn 
screen acting. And I think it is different because, again, you can focus totally. more on the finding your truth and, and letting the, the camera and the microphones do a lot of the work. Whereas in theatre, I completely agree, you need to be projecting to the whole room. The audience is part of it in that respect. Can I ask you, as someone who's, you know, I, I, you're not really new to film, but you're, like, focusing on it now. Yeah. How do you, how, on the level of difficult things in your life, where do you put screen acting? It's fucking, it's the highest and I adore it. Because, again, it's, really? that, it's, it's that excitement of, I think, on. it's a tough one because I think I can't see a time where I'll ever be satisfied with my ability if that makes sense, in, in acting. It feels like there's constant, every time I'm on a new set, I'm learning new stuff. And that excites me to keep going and going and going. With m- music and performance, you'd get to a point in a tour, for example, where you're like, yep, yeah, I've, I've kind of got this, this nailed. They're going cr- crazy at the right points every night. I'm doing this right. I'm kind of on top of this. Whereas in acting, it feels like there's always further and further to go. And you got... More to learn. Yeah, particularly if a director, if a director's not like that was incredible. And often directors are uh, unique people who are like, yeah. <laughs> won't tell you you're doing a good job because they're worried about the lights or whatever. But yeah. we had this guru, this guru teacher at school who used to say, and it's like a big mantra for me when I do camera shit, which is, um, where I am is what I need. So you're like, you're always doing the right thing, but it's a yeah. cool little, uh, little phrase to sit with. Where I am is what I need. Yeah. I love that. So you, not worrying about, oh, what do I have to do next? Or, you know, you just sit in that moment and do fine and know that what you're doing is probably enough. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's one of the things that's been key to me is remembering that it's, it's all meant to be enjoyable. Like these are dream jobs that we're all doing. We, mm. If it starts to get yeah. to the point where we're overthinking it and getting too obsessed with the art of it, it's like obviously do your work on that, do your prep, but then when you, you get there... Fucking relax and enjoy it a bit. <laughs> it's it, it, Bob Odenkirk from Mr. Show. Uh, he's also an actor, a comedian turned actor. He, he when he was, I heard him on an interview recently say that when he was doing Mr. Show, which was his sketch show, he spent the whole time just pissed off and worried and stressed because like the writing, he wished and he wished he hadn't. But like, yeah, it's like it's hard as well when you're writing the content and then having to perform it because you're also the writer mind is going like, oh, do I have to correct this? Is yeah. this good enough? Do I have to compensate? Does actor Broden need to compensate for writer Broden? You can't blame someone else. Ago? You can't be like, well, yeah. it's poorly written, or well, they're not that they're not giving me a thousand yeah. percent, so it's just not it's not right on my right. And you're like, oh, it's it's me yeah. either way. <laughs> it's something we've, I think, we've all kind of come to, like, where we'll say, um, you know, because we've got Sam who writes with us and he just writes, you know, he's a writer um, and he wants to be writing up until he's always thinking as a writer and there's there's almost a point, a line in the sand we have to draw in the development of anything where it's like, from Monday, I'm not a writer anymore. I'm an actor. From Monday, I'm not going to have opinions. All I'm going to try and do is make yeah. what what whoever that person was a week ago who's not me that. anymore I have a cut-off point. whatever yeah. they gave, yeah yeah whatever they gave me that's what i'm going to try and make them work and i might change words here and there but as an actor who's an asshole not respecting the writer not as someone <laughs> editing anymore um and you can, can loosen your conscience on it as well because it's yourself that you're disrespecting really you're not you know yeah, it's still yeah, a yeah. shit but it's like ah but Fuck that guy. I, I know he wasn't in the right place f- for this particular line rather than assuming it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there just is a point where you have to kind of assume 
you just have to like switch switch i think it's like but i i don't know i love i love i love uh, i love film acting i love that you mentioned that because it's like i think with theater and with music live stuff it's live it's almost live versus recorded i imagine it's the yeah. same with music yeah. where with live you're the master of that domain yes you've been given the words yes you've been directed yes you've been uh you know you've got tech people but really it's your relationship with yeah. the audience Whereas with film, I love this sort of a, I think, egalitarian kind of quality to it. Like even the biggest stars in the world, in the end, they're still at the behest of the editor. They're still at the behest of the director. And the director has a producer above them. They have a writer above them. I, I was thinking about it the other day and there's, even though there's hierarchies and there's people in charge, everyone's working for someone else on a, yeah. on a film set. There's no boss, really. There's no one person making all the calls. And I completely. think there's something really cool about that. I, I completely agree. I think it's amazing. But, I mean, as time is flying by, one of the things I did definitely want to talk about was the kind of off-screen members of Arnie Donna because it's, it's, it's more than just the three of you and it's a key thing. And when I put on the first episode, I said I can't – I've, I've been racking my brain to think who did an Instagram post about it. But a comedian I, f- I follow did an Instagram post and I thought, I'll give it a look. And within the first 10 minutes or so, I'd, I'd messaged like two mates about it saying, you've got to watch this show. But when that outro music started, I think I messaged everyone I know saying, number one, you've got to watch this show. But number two, don't skip the outro music because it's, it's one of the best. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. So I'll put the guys sitting here. I'll put him and say, thank you, Tom. Thank you very much. That's a very big compliment. I appreciate it. <laughs> I love it. It was amazing. But so, so yeah, like how is that? That there's you've from what I know, you've always been. There's the three of you that are the on stage, but there is a director it's, and music and all yeah, sorts of other yeah. stuff. It's it's our, it's our secret weapon, and and Tom can talk to this more. We've we've given him the mic. He has free reign now. God knows what's going to happen. Oh, no. um, I'm our musician right here. He he's sitting in the room with us. Um, because, you know, we got to zero cases in Victoria, so we're allowed in a room together. And here's, here's Tom, if you wanted to answer that question, Tom. It's a, a little a, off a Mr. Thomas Armstrong, right? Take it away. Yes. I, I, I know that because, because that name is on the Zoom link. That, that <laughs> research there. I thought I'd really big you up there and make you feel angry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but go cool. ahead. Um, yeah, I guess that's always been our secret weapon and something that's always been really awesome about Auntie Donna is it's not just the three guys that you might see on stage or screen. Um, there's this supporting cast of technical and people with different skill sets that are just as um, dedicated and put as much time in and I think it really shows. Yeah, we talk a lot about, um, you know, our mantra at the start was was, was whatever's funniest. Um, because we came from theatre, we knew that there were other places and other platforms and other ways to deal with other things. Um, and we, we saw in that that, hey, if I want to explore these complex ideas, maybe an ensemble sketch comedy troupe isn't the best place to do that. <laughs> what we can do is, is have fun and, and bring joy. But the other kind of more unofficial motto was like, get the best, get the best people. And yeah. it, it's something that boggles my mind. It, it comes down to poster design, really. Like I always found it fascinating that people at acting school could spend three years learning how to act, you know, know that it takes three years. Um, if you're not at acting school, it can take like a decade to learn how to act. 
but they would make their own posters for their fringe shows. <laughs> but they reckon that, like, you know, I could take a nice photo or they, they could take their own um, headshots. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and it just we, we were just like, well, look, it took us three years to learn how to act. We're already bluffing with the writing. Let's get a good musician on. Let's get a good filmmaker on. Let's get people that know how to make posters to make our posters. And that's always sort of been a bit of a mantra of ours. Mm-hmm. Or, or one more thing with Tom then. How was it kind of the pressure of, of stepping up to a Netflix sh- show kind of thing? Because I think particularly I think the performance side of entertainment, um, there's always there's a level of imposter syndrome. But everyone mm. I know on the production side – everyone has kind of done a lot themselves and taught themselves. And there's always that fear that as soon as I'm put in with the professionals, I'm going to be exposed. So, so, so did you feel excited or nervous or what? To, yeah. hundred percent nervous. And like, I'd be lying if there wasn't times that I thought um, that I would not make it to this level that I thought by the time we hit Netflix, maybe we would have to, <laughs> you know, someone, an exec at Netflix would say, oh, no, we need to use this composer, you know, like you yeah. three are great, yeah. but we need to use this person. I'd be lying if I didn't say that was a reality. But the truth of the matter is every single person involved in the Netflix show from these three guys to the producers to the exec- execs at Netflix pretty much let us do what we do best in the way that we've always done it. And there was never any suggestion that I wouldn't be able to deliver on mixing all the songs, recording all the songs, um, composing all the music, um, writing the theme songs, doing the outros. There was never a single suggestion that I wasn't capable of doing that. And the boys are super supportive of, of everything I do as well. Like they have put me in my place when I need to be put in my place. But uh, <laughs> overall, they just give me free reign, which is amazing and, and really freeing, I would say. I love it. It's beautiful. So like you spoke about the fan base kind of... Um, coming with you and it feeling like you're you're bringing everyone to this Netflix show how was it to 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 to, to know that it's not just the three of you who've got this show you're all jumping up you, you're bringing everyone with you essentially oh it's, i think it's a lot of that is the is the reason where if you would call what we are successful um yeah. uh, is is because of that like it's never been just like three performers trying to figure everything else out you know, like, you know, because the reason we're performers in the group is because that's our particular strength, I would say, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, much like Tom's a musician because that's his strength. Sam's a writer because that's his strength. So that support, the, the fact that we, we always, stand-ups always talk to us about how jealous they are that we've, we get to do comedy with our friends and that we get to go with our friends. And, and um, Sometimes I've gone, oh, well, we actually sometimes get jealous that we just don't have that sort of complete autonomy where we can go off and every decision we make has to be made by a collective. But the more I've thought about it, the more we've gone on, it's like that's without a doubt one of the reasons why we are where we are today is because we've just always had support. We've always had – I've always had five other people who give a fuck about what I'm doing as much as I do, you know. And then, and then you add the fans on top of that, and then there's a reason to keep going. You know, the fans, yeah. the fans give us. It's like, it's like, well, we might as well keep making stuff because there are people who give a shit. And once they stop giving a shit, then that's probably when we'll stop. You know, yeah. they all yeah, yeah, feed yeah, 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 into yeah. each other. Like, I don't think any of us. And look, I'm, I might be wrong here, but maybe I just speak for myself. But I don't think any of us would have reached where we are on our own. We're where we are because we we've 
all the kind of people that that need that support and need that kind of kick up the ass and the accountability to make things happen. You know, we've been very lucky in that. And, sense. and also, I think about like we've been doing it for seven years, and and we've all had bad patches. You know, we've all had you know periods as you do in a decade. You have those periods of time where you you're not your best, mm. and you you're yeah. not your best mentally, physically, um, just as a performer, as an artist. And to be able to kind of sit back, go okay, like maybe the next six months, I'm not going to be. But other people are driving it. There's this almost like we're always driving. It's just someone else is taking the wheel. There's this sort of looping around. So the collective is, yeah, is a hundred percent. Is a hundred percent why we're here. Yeah. The the reason I was I was drawn to working with these guys not not just because I found them all really funny. And again, like how I said, there was no one in my year level who I really connected with. And the thing that I never connect with, connected with with people in my year level was there was no there was no one else who was I thought willing to just like work yeah. as hard as me, um, who yeah. just wanted to just like throw themselves in a hundred percent and sacrifice everything else. Who cares about money? Who cares about where my money's coming from? If I have to work two other jobs, whatever. There was there was no one else like that, and I found that in these dudes, and that was yeah. really special. That was the thing that I think that that connected us all more than anything else. I love that. Well, I mean, with that 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 connection in mind, then, and 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 the group mentality, Mark, why have you got a fancy IMDb photo, and you and Broden and Zachary haven't? Because I pay for like, it. They're just they're just <laughs> outlines. It's like what's going on here? This is. I've got, I've got like an internal dilemma about it. I've got an internal dilemma about it because I'm like, acting school, every, everyone, you leave acting school, everyone just wants to fucking fleece you for all your worth. Yeah. Like the first people yeah. to come speak to you are the union and they're like, you got to give us 400 bucks a year. And then there's someone after that and someone after that. And it's an industry where everyone's below poor and there's no work for anyone. And this, <laughs> yeah. this career that we've forged for ourselves has just been about going like, we fuck auditions, fuck this. We're just going to make our own fucking road in front of us and make our way to wherever we we're going. And anytime anyone's like, there's a paywall for this thing, I'm like, fuck you. I don't need it. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, fuck you. Like, that's my, like, I'd, so like, uh, it would be nice to have a photo there, but part of me is just like, you can go fuck yourself. Like, I'm fucking people watch my Netflix show and then they'll fucking use me for something. I'm like, go fuck yourself. That's my, that, I'm battling with that. I literally I did it, it because like, I got I sick it. of fucking updating my CV, so now I'll just send people that. It's like, fucking just just look at that. And it's like, and I've only been in a position this year where I felt like I could afford it because so, yeah, it's yeah. fucking expensive. So that's, that's literally it. why I have it because, like, a couple months ago, uh, like, like before the TV show, I didn't even click to the fact that the TV show would come out and then this would be a thing because it's come up a few times. I was yeah. like, I was like, oh, I need to send my CV to people, so I'll just pay for this and send them that the, instead because it's the, easier. The thing I want to do in my head is just put up, pay for it, but just put Brad Pitt as my photo like, and see if they stop me. Like, just fuck, just fuck them all. Well, I mean, speaking of, of blazing your, your own trail, Netflix seem really good at kind of, or TV is going this way a bit more at the moment, of just finding voices that they believe in and letting mm. them, them get on with it. I know it wasn't on Netflix, but I think Atlanta is a prime example where they clearly mm. just went, Donald Glover is, f- is fucking great. Let's let him do what he's doing. Because, again, on paper, a lot of Atlanta isn't going to be this big sale. It's like not much happens, but 
it's amazing. That was and our experience. Yeah, mm. yeah. And I look, yeah. I think that's one thing I, I will say really, really unequivocally, without pointing fingers, because I don't, I don't like to point fingers. But people often say, "Oh, it's because they have eight billion dollars. It's because they have so much money a year to spend on content," which is partially true. You know, you're yeah. spending a hundred million dollars. Like, if you're spending fifteen million dollars an episode on The Crown, you're not stressing too much about the little comedy show down the hall. Yeah, that's partially true. But something I will say to Netflix's credit um, that I think other networks can, can could really take from them is the notion that if you've got five shows on your slate, um, and I think uh, production companies could take this, I think anyone, if you've got five shows on your slate or you've got three shows or you've got 100 shows, stop treating each show as the thing you have to get perfect. You've got a slate. It's, 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 it's kind of a gamble. And I think yeah. you see so often the, these, uh, you see people taking something and pushing it and, and just like polishing it and polishing it until it's a three star. It's down yeah. to a three star rather yeah, than just like, yeah, I've got yeah. five things. I'm going to get five good talented people to have a crack at something for five stars. And if I end up with four one star shows and one like ripper, that's better than five mediocre things. Mm. And I think yeah. that's what Netflix does really well. They'll, they'll risk, they'll risk bad in the pursuit of brilliant, um, yeah. which I think is so much better than shooting for good and getting good. You know, I, I, mm. yeah. I, I think mm. that's a real testament. And I think that's, that's something I, I, I think a lot about, you know, it, it it's yeah. good of them. It, it helps that they have so much money. Yeah. But, yeah. And yeah. All, yeah. but yeah. also yeah. there's nothing bad on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, that's there's awesome. nothing bad on Netflix and everything is five stars. So that's what's interesting about that is that they get it every time. They get it right every time. But you're completely right. I think there's so much that execs and whatever forget what drew them to the people that they've signed or to the show that they've signed or to the script that they've signed and do start to then panic and break everything down and polish. And, yeah, that can take all of the soul out of things. And I said, that didn't come across with your show at all. It felt like, oh, no one's touched this. They've literally just said, you go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's all a timing thing. Like for a long time, it was looking like we'd never get the chance to make a TV show because TV was dying and then something else happened and we were able to make it in this form. But you hear the story about like Monty Python in the mid sixties going into, um, BBC BBC and the, and, and them having literally prepared nothing. And saying like, oh, it's a, we're, we're making it, and the executive going, what's what? Have you? What, is there music? And like, oh, we don't know. And like, Do you have guest stars? Don't know. Are you going to shoot it on film? Oh, I haven't really thought about it. And him being like, that's how dare you? I'll give you ten episodes now. Get out! Like, like that's just a window in time where oh, that person had no, there was no accountability at the BBC, and that was able to happen. But obviously, brilliance yeah. happened. But just I think. History, you've got to come around at the right time or you've got to wait for that window to open up as well. But our experience of this literally was they went, make your show. And we went, no worries. And like, it was, and made our show. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, there was so Amazing. much luck. Like luck is, luck is hard work and timing, but fuck me yep. timing came in so hard into this. Cause it was like, I, I think there was, I think we worked it out. Whereas like if we stepped into Netflix's door, like a few months beforehand or a few months after from when we did, 
the show wouldn't have happened because a few months yeah. before they weren't look, looking for sketch. Then they started a sketch department, right? And a few months after we pitched, they'd already figured out their slate for their sketch department. And yeah. we just happened to walk in their door when they were looking for sketch. We were an established sketch group that already had a fan base. And, and to our credit, the idea was really well thought out and our pitch was very, very strong. So it just... And it wasn't like this for every network. Some networks didn't even want to talk to us because they were like, we're not looking for sketch. And that could have been Netflix, yeah. but it yeah, was yeah, the yeah. timing of it was we got so fucking lucky, man. And I, think I love the well. idea of it feels like in the morning someone has been told, I'll find some sketch, and then they get an email <laughs> off you in the evening like, I can go home early. I'm done. Yeah, here it is. <laughs> Found them. Like, like they've literally just started searching on Google, like, oh, that's my job done, I'll clock off, I'm going to go and watch this. Yeah, some, yeah. Some that's the BBC of the 1960s. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think as well there's there's definitely an element where, like, there are times where we were just desperate to get something or certain things, you know. there's We don't have, like, a shining record, you know, um, yeah. of our own, uh, you know, work. You know, personally I can say that. But there was one thing I am proud of is I remember there was like a point we, we did uh, Montreal, we did the Just for Laughs Festival and we did various meetings. And at that time, it was, I think, just after Trump got in, they were like, you got to do political. You, genuinely, there was these meetings where it's like, you've got to do political. Political is the thing to do. And we were just like, ah, oh, I don't think that it, it overt political figures talking about contemporary we're more like timeless than that and we're more talking about like the minutiae of every day that's kind of our thing i don't think we said that we were more just like oh we'll think about it but this idea (laughs) of there was a point where it was like if you want to do comedy if you want to show you have to do it this way and uh, i'm quite proud of the fact that we just sort of were like oh that's not really what we do Mm. um we could have shifted and you see people that shift to the taste of the times but it's like I, I think there's a, there's there's a real like I look back at that and it's something I would say to young people like just do what you do do it for you do it for your audience and yeah hopefully tastes will will align at some point if you keep traveling and you know fashions keep traveling hopefully at some point it'll kind of hit and if it doesn't then better better that you you had some integrity along the way than than doing something bad. I don't know. <laughs> I completely agree. Are a lot of your influences in, in that area then? Because, I mean, you mentioned earlier Nathan for you, and I think I'm on about my fourth rewatch of every episode of that um, yeah. while I'm in kind of quarantine and lockdown and all this kind of thing. And it, for some reason in the UK it seems to be fairly unknown, but it's just flawless. So um, it's one of those, it's a divider. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 but it's so, it's, it's, again, it's exactly as you said there. It's someone who's gone, here's what I'm doing. Like, it's mm. not like anything else. It's not, it's not like, oh, this is a version of this. It's like, no, he's doing his own weird little thing. And yeah. It's funny it's how, um, how humans are so desperate for something new as well. Like, it, like, we, we, in every gen, we have to have new things. We have to find new movements. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems to be ingrained, particularly, I think, in young people. Like, you see it in music movements and, I must. They must have a new thing. It's it's very interesting. Yeah, I can, it's it's also I it's agree. also it's also really interesting as well. Like I remember, it's something that we've always tackled with. But I remember when we first started, like Flight of the Concords was like the thing. Mm. We love. Yeah. I love Flight of the Concords. That that particularly season one of that HBO show, but both seasons is just such a pure diamond of a of a you, of a comedy you see, show. I, I wasn't into them until season two, but purely for personal reasons because. 
their album came out the same week as my first ever <laughs> album that was in shops and they beat us on the charts by one space. And I'm like, it's not even a real band. They're fucking, they're, <laughs> they're not even, it's not even a real thing. We're making art. And I was just such an, because again, I, did, I didn't expect to do, have a career. And yeah, after that, I was like, no, yeah, they are fucking genius. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, they are. They are great. And it's funny, you start to realise everyone's on their own path as well as you get older. Yeah. I remember they were so in fashion and, and, and so it meant that what everyone was doing was the thing to do was be laid back. The thing to do was like this effortless yeah. sort of, um, and it was also Mighty Boosh as well. Just mm. you'd come on stage and you were too cool and you were, you kind of were above it or like removed from it and the audience came to you. And I remember just being like, oh, that's what's good. That's what's cool. That's the stuff I'm watching. But yeah. I just don't think like, I can do that, you know, like bro can do it, Mark can do it to an extent, but I was just like, I just don't think I, I can do that. Yeah. And then it was just like, yeah. well, I'll just do what I know how to do. And then, you know, and then, you know, you, you stick around long enough, things change, fashions flip, you know, it's yeah, just it an interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally. mad, isn't it? Because you realise that that was across the board. Because in music, you had like the strokes and all sorts of these bands who were all yeah. exactly that kind of, I guess I'll play this song. <laughs> oh, I guess it's cool that you enjoyed it. I still, I still okay, love watching yeah, the like, Strokes live now. They just did SNL, and they just—they've yeah. never looked like they've ever given a shit, or that any of them are enjoying what they're doing. I love the Strokes so much, but just still to this day, it's just always like, "Fuck, can I get the fuck off stage, please?" That was always painted on their faces. Yeah. I love that. Well, I mean, one thing again, not to get into full PR for your sh- show mode, but. Oh, please do. As, as, <laughs> as, as said, God, as, please. As, as said, it, it, it blew me away from start to finish, but there were the cameos. Like, there were people I expected, or not expected, but I was delighted to see, but they're in the comedy world. You're, you're Christian Charles, Ed, Ed Helms, Jessica Nappi, even Weirdo Yankovic because of the, the music crossovers, but... I didn't expect fucking Homelander to rock up. Yeah, man. Um, we, we had this. We had this journey with the. I show literally where, paused like, and I was like, "That is. I need to look this up. That is. That is Homelander, isn't it?" I was like, "Yeah, it fucking <laughs> is Homelander. It's fucking Homelander." Yeah, we mind blowing. We, we asked a lot of people to be in the show, and no one knew who we were, so they just said, "Nah, nah, I'd rather not." And um, we were getting to the point. We were getting closer and closer to the shoot, and we needed like people in it, <laughs> and we didn't know anyone in America, um, and. Um, and Sam was like, I think Homelander follows us. And he's the only one who'd watched The Boys at that time. And we're like, I don't even know what that is. He's yeah. like, yeah, I'm pretty sure Homelander's a fan. Yeah, he's like, like, he's like Superman. He's in like, a show and he's like Superman. Like, All right, that'll do. That'll do. <laughs> and then we just, I, we just DM'd him. He's like, I'd fucking love to come down and do it. And then he was a lovely guy. And then, like, then I went, after we wrapped, I watched it. And I was like, oh, my God. And then, <laughs> and then Mark watched it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I watched it. It was just like fuck, fuck me. Like, because people kept because I was like, this is going to come out, and people are going to be like, you killed Homelander, and like that hadn't hit me until I then watched like all of like season two came out, and then I just sat down and watched all of it, and I was like, this is going to be a thing. People are going to fucking talk to us about this, and they did. As soon as it came out, people were like, how'd you fucking kill Homelander? I think the funniest layer of that it. as well was we were like, oh, he probably, because he's he's from New Zealand and we'll, we've got, you know, New Zealand, Australia, like he's probably a fan because of because he's from New Zealand. 
And then he came to set and we're like, so how did you find out about us? Was it friends in New Zealand? And he was like, no, no, it was Jack Quaid. Um, he got all of the people on, all of the people on the boys into it. And he's like, apparently on set, they would just quote one of our sketches, Pud, which is about Christmas pudding. And he's like, everyone on set during, while we were shooting season two of the boys was, was just quoting Pud. And it was Jack Quaid that did it. And we're like, we got to get all the cast of the boys that, onto our show. That is now our goal, is that if yeah. we get three, four, se- how, however many seasons, we got to keep pushing for seasons until everyone that's ever been in the boys has been in our show. That is our Absolutely. number one goal in life. <laughs> well, once we get the boys, all of the boys, we're going to move. Maybe we'll see if Phoebe Waller-Bridge is open. And then and then eventually we want all of Amazon Prime yeah. to <laughs> appear on our <laughs> low-budget uh, Netflix show. <laughs> It's, it's the Marvel DC crossover that, that we, I never Absolutely. got as a kid. Like, Absolutely. They're turning up. They're popping up everywhere. Yeah. Well, it's good to meet him in person as well because, and well, he's not that strong and he's not that tall. I could take him. <laughs> so um, if you're listening, Tony Starr, I could bash you. Yeah. We um, think we could. All three of us versus him, he wouldn't stand a fucking chance. He's just an actor. <laughs> we could take him. He's just he's strong, but it's like it's Jim strong. That's, it's not Homelander I'm, strong. No, calling out Henry Cavill as well. I reckon I could bash him too. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll argue with you on that because by chance, I mentioned this weirdly last week for the first time on a podcast, but I was at a, 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 a mate's party in the, at the beginning of this year and Henry Cavill was there and I had a quick chat with him and I've n- never seen a human that's so perfect. Just yeah, his face yeah. is perfect. Like He was wearing a shirt that was clearly several sizes too small and he should definitely have been wearing it because it was yeah, just yeah, yeah. amazing. But he was one of them that I thought, this man in front of me is more impressive to me than Superman is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Stepping away from that, I'm more impressed with Henry Cavill than I am with the what comic book character of Superman. I've always been curious. The, the people like that, I've never seen an actor like one of those actors in person. I've never seen the Hemsworths in person or any of that. Is his chest and his arms like silly big in person? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Is it like just yeah. silly how big he is in person? Yeah, it, it really was. G- g- genuinely it was. And I was just the most awkward. I was DJing at this party, so I was a bit drunk anyway. And I was just genuinely just like trying not to just keep getting lost in just looking at because again you're 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 meeting a guy for the first time and you're looking at his arms and you're looking at his shoulders a bit and you're looking at his chest a bit it's it's the creepiest shit in the world for him and i'm just going yeah man i agree yeah that's cool just that's how people i've heard people say that um about me when they meet me as well that's really interesting (laughs) henry cavill and i get that sort of response from people that's just interesting it's so (laughs) tough I do, I do, it's true. <laughs> well, I mean, I've got one question that I promised my friend and tattoo artist, Mr. Heggie. I think he got into you guys. He 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 guests in Australia a lot. Um, yeah, what's, he, what's his name? And, uh, Mr. Heggie, your lo- love his stuff. He's on Instagram. He's fucking amazing. Um, okay, cool. He did a tattoo on my leg that it's listed as, it says unicorn underneath. But it's a rhinoceros. Oh, great! But it's it, it, the rhinoceros is a unicorn. It's got a horn. Yeah. They're really rare. It's it's a unicorn. But yeah, he's amazing. You'll enjoy his stuff. But here's one a question uh, when I mentioned having you guys on was why did you have to go to America for six months to film it when you could probably have filmed it in your backyard? You know, so it's absolutely. not the most respect. It's not the most respectful of questions, but no, but I can. What's, it's, what's uh, the kind of truth well, it's, behind it's an it? American TV show. Is like Australia, um, just for, you know, for whatever reason, just found us too weird. We like we never really got the chance to make the show in Australia. They were like, 
And um, we have this thing in Australia called cultural cringe, where uh, if you go overseas and you make good, then you're good. Like the like the the big one is like the Sydney Ar- Harbour, uh, the Opera House, our big icon in yeah. Australia, is designed by a overseas artist, and we you know it, because. We don't make good stuff here. Anyway, uh, we went overseas and we made it in America. And America, like Ed Helms and his production company, were like, "Yeah, let's just make it here." And uh, yeah, like the short story is, America wanted to make a show with us more than Australia did. Is the truth of it? And um, and uh, it it kind of it was a cool experience to be honest. Like as a bunch of weirdos yeah. from Melbourne, we, they flew us all over. Gave us houses to live in and cool cars to drive around in, and like so we just great. like ate American food and went to Disneyland and made a t- and made a TV show that was ours. Like, and and I'll say as well, we we made two pilots in Australia. We've made all of our YouTube content in Australia, and I, we were in the. I remember we were in the car park of the Netflix studio after the pitch talking to uh, producers and stuff after the pitch saying, you know, we would love to film this, this. Even then when it was an American show that we'd pitched in America, we were like, we'd love to film this in in Australia if we can. You know, there are options. So it, it's not for want of trying. You know, it really isn't. <laughs> it, it, we, we, we wanted to make stuff in Australia and we have made stuff in Australia and we even tried to make this in Australia if we could have. So we tried and, and we hope to make much more stuff in Australia. We've got such great crew here and so many great creative people here that, that 100% yeah. we want to make more in Australia and we hope this is the gateway and the window to some American money to make exactly. Australian content. It translates well. The, the, the beauty of making it in America is you could go, oh, who's local? Oh, Homelander. This guy, that guy, <laughs> it's so yeah. much easier to go. Oh, who can we get in at the last minute? Oh, these huge stars, fantastic! It's very true. Weird Al Yankovic emailed us like halfway through the shoot, I think, and said that he wanted to be in it, and that doesn't really traditionally happen in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking amazing. So, so I guess the the wrap up question is 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 what's ahead? Because it's a mad one. Because g- g- getting a show on Netflix is such a fucking end goal kind of moment. Yeah. So that must be a hard thing to go, all right, and now we have to continue on with this. This is something that we have to continue our lives. We don't just end here. Like you have a lot of things, particularly in these kind of entertainment industries that you have as your goals and then you do them Mm. and then you're like, oh, it's happened now. I was striving towards that and now it's happened. What? What next? Well, we've always been uh, a very forward-thinking group in the sense that we care about calendars a lot. Um, and, uh, we always know what we're doing six, 12 months ahead of whatever we're doing now. Yeah. And we always plan. We all, we're always like, okay, if this doesn't work out, we've got this thing that might happen. Say it's a Netflix show or say it's a season two or whatever. We always go, if that happens, great. We'll do that. If it doesn't happen, let's make sure we know exactly what we're doing for 12 months. So then we feel disappointment exactly. for a day. And then we turn up to work the next day and we keep doing what we've already got planned. And then if we need to change our plans, cause it does happen, great. We've always been that group with COVID and shit. Uh, this is the first time ever where we haven't really been able to plan <laughs> because we don't know what the fuck yeah. next year holds. Um, yeah. but with, in terms of the, the, the way you talk about it as a, as an end goal is so true. Like from day one, from day one of this group, like as soon as we clicked in and we went, let's do Auntie Donna, 
the goal was we want we want that half hour TV show. We love that idea. We've or we grew up on that format. Like internet's where we're finding sort of success and popularity, and it's where we're building a fan base. But TV is so core to us as creators. And what we yeah. love, it's what we want. And so now we're here. And I think the conversations for us have always been well, what that will allow us to do. Hopefully, it will allow us to do everything else that we're doing, but possibly on a bigger scale. So. It's we like Broden was saying earlier, like, you know, keeping the YouTube going is really important to us. Being a big presence on all our social medias is really important to us. Touring our live shows and writing brand new material, building a brand new hour for people to see is still really fucking important to us. And we're going to keep doing yeah. those things, but we might be doing them in slightly bigger venues and, and, and we might be doing them to more people. And, and that's about it. We're, at the moment, we're just looking at next year and what touring is like around our country, and we're planning for that. And that's that's kind of that's kind of where we're at. But we're never gonna, we've never put all our eggs in one basket. And like the TV thing is is a perfect example of like that's great. And if we get more of it, fucking awesome. But there's a lot of other things that we do and a lot of other things that we want to keep doing. It's um, it's you know, we called our first pilot Auntie Donna. But the name of the show was Auntie Donna. And um, this show isn't called Auntie Donna. It's called Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun. And and that was a really, like, important thing for me at least, but I think for the group, because it was like this is not the end goal. This is not now all of what we are. I think a lot of the time people get TV and they're like, this is us, you know, and we really wanted yeah. it to be. It's one part of a tapestry. It's one part of a whole, you know, we hope at the end if this ever ends people won't look at any one thing as the thing it's it's kind of a whole work and it's yeah. when i it, it, you know it's a comedy show i don't want to get too serious about it but <laughs> when i think about it in terms of the idea that i've got as a as a theater maker as a as a creative i've got to i've been able to work on one project that transcends and exists on so many different platforms and in so many different ways um, yeah. that's really, really cool to me. You know, I've played this character for so long and I've, I've played within this concept and the idea of a piece of art or entertainment that exists outside of any form is really interesting to me and really exciting. And I think, you know, if you think too linearly or if you think just up, you know, yeah, we've hit the TV show. Sure. There's movies. I'd love to make a 90 Donna movie <laughs> one day, but I think as well, I like to think linearly as well. You know, we made an album when we didn't have to, you know. Uh, there's books, there's comics, there's mm. anything, you know. I, I like the idea that it's not linear. It's kind of broader and weirder and a bit more vibey than that. I completely agree. I completely agree because, again, it's also the, the exact time for that kind of thinking because of the reach yeah. of the internet and YouTube and whatever else. There's so many variations of things that you could do or could come up with that it's like, right, the the limits aren't there. And, and the beauty of what you guys have done is you've got this success off the back of doing it y your way. It's not like you've yeah. gone out and done it and then gone, well, now we've been signed and someone else has gone, here you go. Here's, here's, here's the magic powder. You've, you've got it in spite of not being necessarily, as you said, what they were looking for at the time or, or this or that. So that does give you that scope to go, right, well, we can do what the fuck we want essentially creatively mm. we can mm. go in the direction that we want to go in and, and, and see what happens and see where it lands i love it and and it's 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 kind of beautiful that we got 
70 minutes into a conversation b- b- before we even mentioned the nationwide pandemic, which is incredibly rare. So <laughs> I'll, I'll end by kind of saying, how is it all for you guys? Are you all okay? Is everyone holding up well? Yeah, we're fine. We're just out of like 140, 150 day hardcore lockdown. Um, yeah. uh, Melbourne, Australia has just started opening up. Uh, you know, like in places like Sydney and Brisbane, people aren't wearing masks anymore. Restaurants are at full capacity. Everyone's wow. fine. We're just starting to get there and borders are starting to go down. So, um, Australia's starting to get back to normal, which is fucking sick. Uh, but Melbournians yeah. have done it the, the hardest out of, out of everyone. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm a, like, it was sick that we were able to keep our business running and we we're able to keep doing shit during that lockdown and went a bit fucking crazy and needed to see my therapist <laughs> a little bit more than I normally do. But, um, <laughs> but we got through a baby and we're likes at the end of the tunnel now. Thankfully, we're, we're pretty lucky over here. We're pretty lucky that people, uh, Australians have a thing where I think they don't think they like to be told what to do or they have an attitude of like, I don't want to be told what to do, but then they're told what to do and they're like, eh, all right. <laughs> they'll, yeah. they'll whinge. <laughs> But yeah, they'll do it. They're but like, they'll do we're it. Like teenagers. Yeah, America's are, Americans are fuck you, and Australians are fuck you. But all right, <laughs> like that's yeah. kind of the difference I've found. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you very much for your time, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure, and it's flown thank by. Thank you, Pip. Beautiful talking to you. Yeah, really appreciate it, man. Particularly just someone who watched the show and then wanted to support it. We really appreciate that's it. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. No, it was great. As said, I literally, I binged the whole lot in 24 hours. I put one on thinking, I've heard this is going to be interesting. I hadn't even, I couldn't even <laughs> say I've necessarily heard it's good. I've heard it's going to be interesting. And yeah, it blew me away. So it's a good work on, uh, on what you've done. And yeah, I look f- forward to a season two or a fucking f- f- fruit range or whatever other weird direction you choose <laughs> yeah, to go man. in, in the end. Hey, man, whatever Who the knows? fuck we do. Who knows? A vineyard. A vineyard, yeah. A domino store. <laughs> Perfect. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. I hope you enjoyed that. Absolute dudes, right? I love talking to them. Um, I love the outlook, a L- little bit of behind the curtain stuff. I'd made a note of who was who, because I don't, as you know, I don't normally have multiple people on at once, but I love these guys. I thought they were amazing, but I am still new to them. I binged the whole thing in one day. I made a note of who was who on my phone and somehow I noted it wrong anyway. So, so I noted literally what I wrote down, Mark, uh, open bracket, Beard, close bracket. I got that one right. Broden, open bracket, long hair, close bracket. Wrong. Zachary, open bracket, ginger, close bracket. Wrong. I got those two round the wrong way. And about halfway through, I was like, hang on. The names I'm thinking aren't matching the people. So, yeah, I just thought I'd tell you that. I I can't remember if I revealed myself at any point on my error. I think I covered it up. I may well have not. Um, But, yeah. That was some good fun. Um, as said, go and watch their show on Netflix. As you will have heard from Z- Zachary talking about wanting to go to a thousand percent, it doesn't let up. It goes hard from the start, but it's a wonderful ride. Um, and as you will have heard from the chat, I, I adored it. I was excited to talk to the guys. I'm, 
I'm a new fan, but uh, an enthusiastic fan. So, yeah, thank you for tuning in. I'll be back next week. Obviously, head over to patreon.com slash pip if you want some videos of uh, of some recent chats. There'll be loads up by now. We'll almost be at the full 12, right? Almost. And head to speechdevelopmentrecords.com for all that good shit. My name is Scroobius Pip. Come and holler on socials. I've not mentioned that in ages. Come and holler on socials. I fucked off Facebook. It's still there, but I'm not on it. I don't g- g- go on it anymore. I'm not telling you that Facebook is still there. You you would have heard if that had gone down. But my Facebook is still there. But now it's just... I just use Instagram and Twitter, but the Instagram posts go automatically to Facebook. I don't know why I need to tell you this, but Facebook is now unmanned. But Instagram is manned like a, m- a motherfucker. Manned too much, if I'm honest. Um, overmanned. It's, it's a weird year, so my usage is through the roof. And Twitter as well is manned i try and ease up on that because i think it's a depressing place <laughs> but i'm um, you know i check on the regs and i say things like on the regs so that's who i be i will see you all next week for another episode of the distraction pieces podcast ta-ta